Hey everybody, so my name is Mike, I'm one of your pastors here, and today, yes, this is what we're going to focus on, but before we get into our scripture today, I just want to ask everybody a few questions, so by a show of hands, if you feel honest and vulnerable, you can play along, so here we go. First question, how many people here have felt some form of loneliness in this past week? Just raise your hand, okay? How many have gone at least a whole week without any human touch, any human contact beyond maybe like shaking a hand or a pat on the back? How many? All right. And how many of us would say we feel lonely even when we're surrounded by other people? Okay. So the truth is I myself would also answer yes to those questions. And loneliness is a huge problem, not just in the Bay Area, but actually it's a huge problem everywhere today. And that's a big deal. And maybe you weren't familiar with this, but it's a big deal because loneliness is deadly. And you may say, okay, Mike, that's a little dramatic, like for real deadly. Mike, you're just, come on, don't be a drama queen. And I'm thinking, that's not me, that's Pastor Lance, all right? <laughs> no, I mean it though, we're dealing with an epidemic. I'm going to back it up with some proof, okay? In 1938, Harvard University started what they called their study of adult development. And this was a longitudinal study. It followed 724 men. And the goal of the study was simple. It was just to find out what makes people happy. And over the years, they've learned a lot. And some things are very relevant to what we're talking about today. The first thing, and please take out your outline, take good notes today, because I really genuinely am convinced that this is important. First, from this study, we've learned that what correlates highest with happiness is quality of relationships. Quality of relationships is what correlates the highest with human happiness. Now, I read this and I said, duh, of course it does. That's not a shocker. But the truth is, we might say, of course, we know relationships are what makes people happy. But if we're so smart, why aren't we better at it? Why are we not better at this? If we as a society claim that we all believe this, why isn't it at the top of our priority list? I mean, we can say that it is, but the truth is, is, you know, we have to ask ourselves, do we spend more time investing in our relationships than we do pursuing money or pleasure? Or do we as Americans allow ourselves to be distracted by things like toys and substances? Do they force our relationships further down the list of our priorities, even if we don't want to admit it? Okay, just so you know, we've reached the air quotes section of the message because I like to use air quotes a lot. So do we teach our kids family first? And then we tell our kids money can't buy happiness while working long hours and pushing them into the world's definition of success by making grades an idol so that they can get into the best college and get the best job. Even though our universities are just as likely to produce baristas living at home with $100,000 of debt. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to beat anybody up here. I believe in education. I'm just pointing out that when I read this and I thought, of course relationships make us the happiest. Do we live that way? I have to reflect on my life and, and ask, do my priorities line up with that? Now, I promised to explain what I meant when I said loneliness is deadly. 
The second takeaway from the Harvard research is this. Loneliness is as harmful to our health as smoking, alcoholism, or obesity. So let's just let that sink in for a second. In fact, the CDC recently confirmed that it's actually deadlier than obesity. Now, 2018 results from the King's College in London shows that lonely young adults are far more likely to experience mental health issues and, in fact, also far more likely to be out of work than their peers. So, okay, now that I've unloaded all of this bad news on you, what can we do about it? Why does it even matter? Well, I think it matters to God because God created us to be in community, in community with Him and in community with each other. And it doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. You were still created to live in community. It can look differently based on personalities, but that's what we were created for. And by being here today, you are at a church that says this matters. This matters to God and it matters to us. So how can we tackle this? How can we defeat this loneliness monster? Well, we're going to resume our escape room series today, and we're going to take a look at another lie. Today's lie is the lie that I am alone. Now, if you've missed any of the series, I strongly encourage you to go online and listen to the other three so far. The first lie, do you remember what it was? There's no way out. And the second one, my life is worthless. And then last week, Lance talked about, I can't slow down. I can't slow down. So if you've missed any of those, please go listen. Now today, again, we're going to follow the life of Elijah. We're going to see what happened. And just as a really quick review, Elijah was a prophet of God in the Old Testament. Okay, he had a showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, 450 of them, one of him. They made altars. And God showed up. God consumed the sacrifice with fire. The bull was burned up. And so the prophets of Baal were defeated. And then immediately Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel said, we're going to kill that Elijah guy. And so Elijah took off and he fell into a time of fear and loneliness and depression. He went away and isolated himself in a cave. So when we last saw him, he heard the voice of God, and he didn't hear that voice in a storm or in an earthquake or in a fire, but he heard it in a gentle whisper. And that's where we pick up our story today. So the scripture is 1 Kings 19.13, and this is what we read. When Elijah heard it, and that's God's voice that he heard, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So we can see that Elijah here has already started down what we're going to call the path to loneliness. He's distanced himself from those around him. And let's give the guy a break. He had his life threatened by an evil queen who wants to kill him for exposing her fake religion, which she was using to control everybody. So as he learned this and he ran away, okay, he, he started to go down this path. The path to loneliness. Now let's go way back in the chapter to verse 3. Dwayne mentioned this to me when we were discussing this talk, and this is something that we might have overlooked, but we read in 1 Kings 19, 3-4, listen to this, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone in the wilderness. 
Now, why is that significant? This guy wasn't just Elijah's servant. This was his constant companion, his co-worker for the Lord. And more than all that, most likely, he was Elijah's very best friend. But Elijah chooses to leave him in town and go off alone. Now, why is he doing this? To protect his friend? Maybe, but no matter the reason, it's Elijah's choice. He's choosing to isolate himself. He's taking the steps down that path to loneliness. In our lives, I believe that we have a tendency to do this. And when I say we, I, so I'm talking to myself through this whole message, just so everybody knows, just to be completely transparent. I'm sure that a lot of us relate to it, but I have to say, I know that I do this sometimes. I start down the path to loneliness by distancing myself. And it might be difficult or even impossible to actually physically distance ourselves from people. We have to interact with people through our day. Maybe it's your families, maybe your coworkers. But even if we can't physically distance ourselves, and this is our first point on the path to loneliness, we distance ourselves relationally. We distance ourselves relationally. And let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about here. All right. Sometimes when we're talking to people, even if we're facing people, we distance ourselves by pointing our feet away from them. Have you heard of this? So you're having a conversation with somebody, but they're kind of here and you're sort of facing in a different direction. Okay. You think, eh, that seems kind of small. What else you got? All right. We also might begin to avoid people. Now, listen to this one. This should only apply to married people. Sometimes we use that snoring or kicking excuse to start sleeping in separate beds. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Right? We start doing that to isolate ourselves. Sometimes, and this is a big one for me, sometimes we end up isolating ourselves by applying our past experiences that didn't go so well with maybe one person or two people in the past, the mistrust, that kind of thing, we start to apply that to all people. I don't trust people because people have burned me. And so we sort of project that onto everyone else. Sometimes, I'm going to step on some toes here, so buckle up. Sometimes when we have conversations, maybe we avoid eye contact. Sometimes we stare off into space. Sometimes we stare at the TV, or worst, we're having a conversation with someone, and what do we do? Pick up our phones. We start looking at texts and social media while we're in the middle of having a face-to-face -face conversation. Now, listen, I don't, I'm not criticizing technology, okay? I like technology, but here's something that we found out. A 2017 study, this was by the University of Pittsburgh, recently appeared in the American Journal of Preventive Medicine, and this is what it told us. It corroborated previous research which shows that the more a person uses social media, the more lonely he or she becomes. This is an indisputable fact. This is not one of those, well, it may be true for somebody else, but it's not true for me. This is a fact. This is a fact, and, and we actually learned that the top 25% of social media users, you know who you are, 
we're three times more likely to be lonely than non-social media users. That's 300%. That's a lot. And these findings are true regardless of age, gender, relationship status, income, or education. None of those things matter. Social media use makes you more lonely. So we're finding this out. We're seeing all of these different things that we do or that we experience that make us feel like we're alone. Let's stop for a moment and get practical. Pause and ask yourself this very fair question. Am I moving toward or away from my most important relationships? In my life right now, am I moving toward or away from my most important relationships? Which way are your feet pointing? Are you in a life group? If you are in a life group, are you engaged with it? You know what I mean. Husbands, husbands, you know what I mean. Mike, why are you being so gender specific? Tough, I'm right. Husbands, you know, your wife brings you to the small group and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is cool life group, but uh, I don't know why it has to be on Monday nights. Let me just check the score for a minute. And you're not really engaged in the life group. I'm not saying that this is strictly a male problem. I'm saying usually stereotypes have some sort of basis in reality. That's all I'm saying. Plus, guys, you know it's true. All right. <laughs> If you're serving on a team at church, are you really serving with your heart or are you just kind of going through the motions? You know what I mean? Like, okay, I would, I would not ever believe this could be true at our church. But at some churches that I may have visited, you know how you walk in and you've got, well, here you've got the welcome team and they're all, always really friendly and they want to write you a name tag and they'll point you to the coffee and they're smiling and everything like that. But, you know, sometimes you, you walk into a church and the welcome team is there like chomping their gum and on their phone, you know, kind of like Flo's sister in that commercial. And they're like, oh, hey, Welcome. And then they go right back. This is what I'm telling you. That would never fly here because I know the leaders of the welcome team and they would absolutely kill anybody who did that. But if you're part of a team and you're serving somewhere, are you doing it with your whole heart? Or uh, you're just kind of going through the motions? Because those things that I just mentioned, those things can be indicators of whether or not you mo you're moving toward or away from your more important relationships. So this is what I would strongly encourage you to do. I would strongly encourage you to let down your walls a little bit. And at the very least, if you're struggling, ask someone to pray for you. It's not hard to do, but sometimes our own pride gets in the way. If you're wrestling with things, if there are hardships in your life, what does it cost you to go to someone that you trust and say, I need you to pray for me because, listen, this is always true. The less others know about you, the less they can help you. The less others know, the less they can help you. So that's some practical stuff, but let's move on. Let's get back to Elijah. So he's having this conversation 
with the voice of God. Where in verse 14, he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. This poor guy. Can you imagine being the only one left? It's really a tragedy. It's really a tragedy. But seriously, we've felt this way before. We all have. We can admit it. Elijah now, on the path to loneliness, he's on step two. We over or underestimate our significance in God's plan. Clearly, Elijah here is overestimating his importance in God's plan. But we do that too. We get confused about how much we matter in God's purpose sometimes, right? You know, for a pastor, this looks like me. Or, or for a pastor like me, this can look like this. Oh my gosh, we have camp coming up and I got to get 200 kids registered and nobody's helping and I'm the only one who cares. Take me home, dear sweet Lord, baby Jesus. I'm like Santa Claus. I have this big burden on my back and I got to carry it all by myself. And we do this. Okay, yeah, you laugh, but it's not just pastors. Some of us think that the church will crumble like them walls of Jericho if we don't show up. And they sure better not make any important decisions without me here. And nobody better sit in my seat, because that seat right there, you can see the cheek imprints. That's my seat, right? Don't laugh like that's not you, because we all do that. But I think it's even more common that we don't overestimate our importance in God's plan. We underestimate our importance in God's plan. What? Me? I don't matter. They don't need me there. Nobody notices me. Nobody appreciates me. Maybe I'll just stop going and I'll just stay home and watch churchy time on TV. That's what I'll do, and then that ought to make God happy, and that'll make everybody else happy too, because I don't even matter. And we tell ourselves that too. And, and again, I'm exaggerating. It's hyperbole to make a point, but we can feel this way. I think that probably the biggest challenge I have working with volunteers is that they legitimately don't understand how important they are, because they really are. You know, we can tell ourselves, ah, if I don't show up, you know, if you're working with the teenagers, ah, if I don't show up, what's a big deal? It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. You matter. You matter. And it's important that you understand that. Don't underestimate your importance in God's plan. But can you see how both overestimating your importance and underestimating your importance can produce the same result? We isolate ourselves in our own minds, either at the top or the bottom of the pile. We isolate ourselves. And so serving God transforms from, hey, I get to serve God, to, hmm, I have to serve. They need me. Somebody's got to get up and make the coffee or the band is going to freak out. You know, those hipsters and their coffee, right? And so we tell ourselves this. But let's stop for a moment and get practical again. When you feel an overestimation or an underestimation of your significance in God's plan, pause and ask yourself, am I doing this for God or for me? 
Am I doing this for God or for me? And this is important because there are a lot of things we can pray. And there are some things we can pray for that God promises. If it is in his will, if we remain in him and he remains in us, ask what you wish and it will be given you, to you. We, there are some things we can pray for that God will always answer yes to. Okay? It's not my new Lexus. Um, it's not that winning lottery ticket. Okay? You can still pray for those things, but, uh, you know, good luck. All right? But God will always give you the strength to obey. If you pray, God, I want to be more obedient to you, God will always answer yes. And that's not me speaking for God. He said that himself in Scripture. All right? It's John 15, 7. You can look it up. If you're praying for something according to what God has planned, the answer will be yes. And that's really good news. Apparently, that billion dollars is not what God has for me. All right. Hey, what can you do? All right. So let's move on. This leads us to our next step on the path to loneliness. Number three, we have this tendency to pick up the wrong burdens. We pick up the wrong burdens. Just like Elijah, sometimes it's almost as if we start to care or think that we care about things more than God cares about things. Have you ever kind of felt that? Let me reassure you. We don't care about our kids more than God cares about our kids. Okay, so remember that. You know, when you're sending your kid out to school and you finish bubble wrapping him and get that bungee tether, okay, <laughs> We don't care about our kids more than God cares about our kids. We were at a conference the other day. I heard this great quote. You guys are going to hate this. But I didn't make it up. The greatest threat to evangelism today is Christian parents. That was the quote. You can just think about that, what that means. No, that's a really old quote, too. It's not just about today. All right. Just had to throw that in there just for laughs. We don't care about our marriages more than God cares. We don't care about our friends or our co-workers at work or at school more than God cares. Now listen, let's get practical for a second again. When you have a baby, okay, right? Girls, guys, when you have a baby, and guys, if you have a baby, you know, probably we should call the news. But if you have a baby... You're going to have to wipe his tushy, his bottom. Correct? I had to run all these words through the church censor. All right. You're going to have to wipe his bottom if you have a baby. Fair enough. But when little Johnny is 22 years old and still living at home playing video games in the basement, once again, had to get through the censors. Listen, don't wipe the wrong bottoms. If this guy is asking you, Mom, if you say yes, that's on you. Don't pick up the wrong burdens. Don't make yourself responsible for things for which God has not made you responsible. Sometimes we end up feeling lonely or abandoned when we think this way. 
If God didn't ask you to carry a burden and you carry it anyway, you'll be carrying it alone and that will isolate you. And this doesn't just apply to Johnny in the basement. This, this imply, uh, applies to so many areas of our lives where we take responsibilities that we just aren't required to. So consider what this means and how it isolates you and makes you feel alone when you've made yourself responsible for something that you really shouldn't. All right, let's turn the corner here. Let's see how God helps Elijah in his loneliness, because this will apply to us as well. Let's jump ahead to verse 18, then we'll come back. God tells Elijah, Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. God is showing Elijah the path to community. He's getting him off the path of loneliness. And now, Elijah, get on that path to community. When we're falling into this trap, the lie of loneliness, the first step to getting on the path to community, as God is demonstrating for us here, is a mental correction. In this scripture, God is showing Elijah and us that we all need to realize that we're not alone. Just like with Elijah, there's a remnant of people that God is preserving for his purposes. And one of those purposes, in our case, means a group of people that God has given the task of supporting us. That's pretty cool. So like Elijah was saying, God, I'm the only one left serving you. And I'm sure God said, Elijah, we don't even have the internet yet. You don't have newspapers. How do you know? How do you know that you're the only one left? This is in your head. But a lot of us get in our heads and we live there and we create this reality. Okay, let me give you some news. You know how like at marketing seminars they'll say, well, perception is reality. False. Perception is not reality. Perception is your perception of reality and how you will respond. But it doesn't make reality. If my perception is that I can get up on top of the building and fly, okay, that might be my perception of reality, but gravity has something to say about it. So reality is different from our perception. And it's important for us to understand that our perceptions can be changed. Reality doesn't change. The reality that there were 7,000 other people that God had preserved for himself that had never bowed down to Baal, Elijah wasn't aware of that. But God flat out told him, yes, it's true. There are 7,000 others. And in our lives, there are people that God has given the responsibility, you are going to care for this person. We need to understand that we are not alone. There are a group of people right here that God has picked out to partner with you, whether you're young or old, single or married, no matter what. You have a community right here. You have a community. But the next step is up to you. Let's go back to verse 15. God's still talking to Elijah. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. God is telling Elijah and us that we need to step back to community. Get off the path to loneliness, step back to community. 
God's telling Elijah, get back on the path you just came down here on. Return to your people. I have some responsibilities for you. And when we're feeling lonely, we have to connect with people to facilitate conversations with people. This is part of our problem. We want people to be mind readers, but people can never read minds. It's not fair to isolate ourselves in the hopes that someone will talk to you. I mean, that's like Mike Mason at a high school dance, you know. Well, I'm just going to stand over here by myself and see if any of the ladies come talk to me. Okay, good strategy. Okay, it doesn't work. So, but we do that in real life, you know. It's like the high schoolers when I say, okay, everybody, time to stack chairs. All of a sudden, they have really important things to do over here. So, we need to explain or convince ourselves that we have to initiate conversations with people. In fact, when we approach people for conversation, we're allowing God to use them to take care of us. We allow God to use them to take care of us. Now, please don't pull that, well, I go to church, nobody talks to me at church. I come to church and everybody's all clicky and they all talk to each other, but nobody talks to me at church. Listen, you have to allow people to talk to you. They can't read your mind. When you're over here by yourself, not interacting with other people, listen, nobody likes to hug a porcupine, okay? Figure it out. In her book, Reclaiming Conversation, author Sherry Churkle states, face-to-face conversation is the most human and humanizing thing we do. All right, that seems like a fair statement. Fully present to one another, we learn to listen. It's where we develop the capacity for empathy. It's where we experience the joy of being heard, of being understood. So let's take a look at Elijah's last step on this journey back. 1 Kings 19, 16. God's continuing to give him his his responsibilities. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Mahola, to replace you as my prophet. See, like Elijah, we all need to mentor and be mentored. God is showing Elijah that he must both find someone to be above him, a new king, and someone he can pour into. This is Elisha, his replacement, famous bald Old Testament prophet. I like the guy. Go look him up. So one last time, we're going to get practical today. We need to find new sources of help through this mentoring thing. We need to find someone to mentor us who has more experience and can model trusting God for us. We also need to find someone we can mentor who can benefit from our experience and wisdom. So as we wrap up, one more thing that I beg you to consider is this. Our old friend, Pastor Rick Warren, has said that if you don't know Christ, your loneliness is a longing for a relationship with God. Loneliness is a longing for a relationship with God. And if you're here today and you don't know much about God and you don't really know all of this Jesus stuff, listen, what I can tell you now in a very short amount of time is that he loves you. He created you for a relationship with him and nothing else can fill that God-shaped void inside of you. So you're in the right place where you can ask those questions and try to figure out what this means. Now, I have to be honest with you, of course. I don't want to sell you a bill of goods here. Asking Christ to come into your life doesn't mean that you'll never feel loneliness again. 
but it does mean that you'll never truly be alone. He'll always be present. Now, maybe you're here and you've had faith, but you think, hey, I know that God is with me. I know the scriptures promise he'll never leave me, but sometimes knowing that doesn't help me and it doesn't change the way I feel. It's just like he's watching me suffer and he doesn't care. He's not doing anything. What good is God's presence then? Well, this is what I would challenge you because it's okay to feel that way. But what I want to challenge you is that sometimes the hand God gives us to hold is a very human hand. And it's time for us to step back to community and allow people to love us with the love of Christ. Now, as I mentioned at the start, I deal with loneliness as much as anyone, but I hope that you and I can take these lessons from Elijah and use them as the key to escape this lie that says, I'm alone. Being part of a life group can help you develop friendships with people who might be going through similar circumstances. All right, now, one of the feelings that people struggle with a lot during the Christmas season is loneliness, right? Well, next weekend, we're going to be hosting the Grief Share Surviving the Holiday Seminar. So if you feel like this applies to you, I encourage you to get signed up for this and be a part of this. And just remember that even though life can be so challenging and difficult, you're not going through this alone. I can assure you, that even if you feel completely isolated, totally alone, you're not the only person to feel this way. And there are probably lots of people in this room feeling the exact same things that you are. That's why we come together, so that we can support each other and offer God's love to each other. Now the band's going to bring us a song to remind us that we're not alone, but let's pray first. Father God, I pray that you would encourage us in our hearts to remember these things so that we can take the steps necessary to open ourselves up to your help and to get back on the path to community. God, we also pray that you would take this offering, use it to help the lonely people in the community around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.